0: Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we are going to begin a journey together through the book of 1 Peter. Now we will occasionally, in the, in the weeks to come, we will occasionally take breaks as needed for holidays and special events and things like that. But for the most part of the next few months, we will be in this book. And so uh, we want to invite you to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to tell you a little bit about 1 Peter as we get started this morning. Uh, The book of 1 Peter was written by Peter the Apostle. It was written sometime between the years 60 and 65 A.D., so around 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And in fact, the name of Peter is mentioned in the Gospels More than anyone except the name of Jesus. And interestingly, no one in the Bible speaks uh, as often, or I'm sorry, no one in the Gospels speaks as often as Peter does. And Jesus spoke to Peter in the Gospels more than to any other person. Peter was considered the Apostle of Apostles. He was considered the leader of the apostles in this time in 60 to 65 A.D. And so he was writing to a group of Jewish and Gentile converts, so believers in Christ who come both from a Jewish culture and a Gentile culture who have fled hostile cities due to the very devastating persecution of Christians that was going on in that day. Now they're living in a region uh, that in the Bible sometimes is referred to as Asia Minor by Bible scholars. But basically they're living in what is modern day Turkey. And in the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's going to lay out three things that he wants his readers to clearly understand. So let me invite you to read with, with us 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the temporary residence dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit, for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Father, we pray this morning as we dive in to your word and as we begin this journey in 1 Peter, Lord, will you speak to us? Father, help us to hear these reminders that Peter gives to the believers he is writing to as reminders that we as believers need to hear today and may we serve and honor you God we pray in Jesus name Amen well I told you that there's three things that Peter wants his readers to understand the first thing that he wants the readers to understand is that this world is not our home this world is not our home notice he says who he is writing to in this epistle, he says, to the temporary residents. Temporary residents. Peter writes this letter to, uh, to the temporary residents in Asia Minor. And when he writes this letter, you have to understand that believers in Christ were not happy about living in this region they did not come there for better opportunities they came there out of necessity they were fleeing very dangerous cities where they were being persecuted that they were discouraged by how the world was treating them they're struggling and many of them are probably asking right here in first peter chapter one many of them probably we're asking the same questions that many of us have been asking for the last year and that question is why and and so Peter reminds them that, that listen this is not your destination Peter reminds them that what they are going through is temporary you know, it's easy to get fatigued by all the things that happen in this world. This, is a, this, this world today is difficult for anybody to live in, but especially for a believer in Christ. So many people will attempt to follow Christ because they think it's easy. For years, there were preachers that were saying, just pray this prayer and just come to church and and God's going to give you that raise and he's going to give you that new job and they would preach this prosperity gospel and people would say hey I want that I want my life to be better I sure don't want to have to go to the place of torment I'd much rather go to heaven when I die and so yeah I'm, I'm going to get on board with that a lot of people would attempt to follow Christ because they thought it was easy but They just didn't know how tough it was going to get. They didn't know how tough it would be or could be until they were faced with a major life decision. One of those decisions where if if you follow your faith, you risk being canceled. Believers in Christ who, uh, who, who, who follow God thinking it's going to be easy their, their their minds and their lives become completely overwhelmed and short-circuited when they're faced with great opposition. Because they think, that's not what I signed up for. You know, what do you do when you're faced with those difficult problems where if you do what you know is right in the eyes of God, you risk being canceled, you risk losing your job or If you're a business owner, maybe you risk losing a company, uh, a company being forced into bankruptcy. You know, you're faced with those situations where being serious about your faith doesn't make things easier, it makes things harder. I mean, what do you do when you're faced with those situations? Peter wants them to understand this is temporary, this is not the destination, this is part of the journey I remember in high school a girl that I was dating in high school dumped me because she wanted to go out and do things at that age and she wanted to to be part of a lifestyle that I didn't want to be a part of I didn't want to go to the parties I had just gotten saved I was growing in my faith and I'll tell you I remember In those days, I wasn't even struggling. I wasn't even feeling a call to ministry. I had not even discerned that in my own heart. But I remember in one of our conversations, she must have seen that in me because she said to me, I just don't want to be tied down dating a preacher boy right now. You know, those are are things that happen to you when you are following God and trusting God with your life. You know, I know Christ followers who have been faced with situations like that and instead of pressing on and instead of moving deeper in their walk with God and learning and growing in their faith, something like that would happen to them. And I've known people who have just, it just it rocked their world and it shook their faith because something bad happened. And so once that happened, they were kind of done. I mean, they weren't completely done with Christianity, but they became apathetic to the things of Christianity. And all oh, the doctrines of God were, were fine and dandy as long as they didn't get in my way. And of course, when you take an attitude like that, uh, you see people's lives spiral out of control. Peter wants these believers who are discouraged in, to understand that this world is not our home. Friends, don't stop serving God when things are hard. Don't stop serving God when things are hard because the truth is is that you and I will not reside on this earth for an eternity. There is going to come a day, my friend, when we are going to step from this life into eternity and friend when that happens if you are a believer in Jesus Christ if you have faith in Jesus if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus then when you step from this earth and from this world into the world eternal you will step in to your home because our home is in heaven our home as believers in Christ, as children adopted into His family, our home is with Him. Friends, if you're a believer in Christ, this world is not your home. That means that you're going to be a little different than the people of this world. You know, on Wednesday, I called upon uh, the members of our church to pray for the incoming administration and all the changes going on in our country today. And the reason I did that is because as believers in Christ, we have a solemn duty to pray for our leaders. We have a solemn duty to pray for this president and that administration. Now, this duty does not come from our status as citizens of the United States of America, but instead it comes from our status as citizens of Christ what God tells believers in Christ to do. Now that doesn't mean that you have to agree with every decision that is going to be made and every policy that is going to be outlined in the days ahead. In fact, I know some decisions have already been made that are being heavily debated and many are are unhappy. But listen, that's all the more reason to pray for our leaders. I want you to understand something. Non-Christians of this world, when we say we're going to pray for our leaders, listen, that doesn't make sense to the people in this world who are not Christ's followers. They think it's crazy. Many of them think it's stupid. They assume that this pray for your leaders stuff is just lip service by Christians and that we don't really actually do it. We don't really mean it. I mean, how could you pray for somebody that you don't even know especially if there is a circumstance in which you may not agree with the things that they are doing see the world outside doesn't get that it doesn't get that and that's why everything, every time something happens in our nation and, and well-meaning people especially Christ followers want to send out prayers and well wishes our, our world many in our world will balk at that they can't fathom that that would be true or that it does any good at all. But listen, that's okay. Let them think that because when it's all said and done, this world is not our home. That's why in the second chapter of 1 Peter, we'll get to that in the days ahead. But he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. But he urges them as strangers in temporary residence. Listen, you and I need to be okay with the reality that because this world is not our home, we will never completely fit in. Because this world is not our home, we will never completely fit in. That's why Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 3, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The believers that Paul's writing to, they're living in a world where they no longer fit in because they're seeking to serve and honor God. But our citizenship as believers in Christ, our highest duty and our highest citizenship is is that of heaven. And because of that, there's going to be always times, there's going to be times when when there's always going to be conflict between truth and serving God and the deception of the enemy in the world today. There will always be a tension and a struggle between light and dark. You and I, as believers in Christ, are called to walk and live according to the light. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. It also tells us that God has given us the word of God as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Friends, not only do we walk according to the light, but the word of God teaches us that we carry that light into the darkness of this world. But scripture says, while while we understand that Jesus is the light of the world, Scripture also teaches us that Satan, Lucifer, is the prince of darkness. And as long as you try to carry the, the light of God into a dark world, there will be conflict because, because light pierces the darkness. Light uncovers things that have been overcome by the shade of darkness. So do not be surprised, my friend, when this world challenge you, challenges you on the basis of your faith. But don't give up. Don't serve God, Don't stop serving God when things get hard. This is not all there is. This is our temporary home. So Peter wants us to understand, number one, this world is not our home. But number two... He wants us to understand that we're going to face persecution. Because he's, he, he's writing to the temporary residents who have been dispersed through that region. Peter is writing to people who have been dispersed. That means they have scattered from the places of, their places of origin into this new territory. And the reason that they have done that is because they have been persecuted. We see in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen becomes the first person martyred for his faith in Scripture. He's martyred by the community of people around him who are hostile to the message of the gospel. And once that happens, over a period of time, things get worse and worse and worse for Christians. And so they began to get out of these cities where people were hostile and they were so hostile that that the lives of these believers were being put in jeopardy when Stephen was martyred that was that was the first time that we see somebody other than Christ that has died for their faith and it just gets worse from there and so people naturally begin to move out of the city into the countryside into different territories in order to live and serve God in a place where it would be more safe for them. We understand that if you read world history that uh, the Romans when they began to really seriously uh, persecute the Christians they were not only killing people for their faith but many times they would torture them. You see the Roman Uh, officials in the Roman government were told that a true believer in Christ would never renounce the name of Christ. And so they liked to play this little game and put people to the test and so they would see how far can we torture this person before he or she will finally renounce their faith in Christ. See they liked to, it wasn't just being executed. It was being tortured. It was a really bad time to be a Christian in Rome. Peter's readers were being persecuted for their faith and their commitment to Christ. And although people are still tortured and killed for their faith in Christ around the world today, I am thankful that we live in a nation where that is uh, that is illegal. There's, there's there, there's our, we have laws in place for our constitution that, that prevent people from being able to have legal authority to do that today. There are places where they do have legal authority. But you know, the reality is, is, although we don't live in a nation where it would be common for you to be captured and tortured and killed strictly for your faith in Christ, we do live in a nation where we will be persecuted we will be persecuted. Christians have been persecuted before. They are persecuted all over the world on uh, all over the world today in many many ways and they will be persecuted in the days ahead. You will be persecuted. You know, today many followers of Christ are called bigots and racists and phobes and nationalists and supremacists and all kinds of phobes is and things and listen the truth is is that there are people in our world today who really are racist there are people in our world today who really are are bigots there are people in our world today who have confused their identity in Christ with their identity as American citizens there are people in the world today who are just plain hateful and they just completely spread unnecessary division it's true that there are ites and its and phobes out there and it's true that there's all kinds of races there's all kinds of supremacists out there and it's, it's true that sometimes those people will wave a Christian flag but friends you and I need to stand up and we need to proclaim that that is wrong that is wrong and you and I we know that's wrong But the sad reality is is that because there are those people out there who do these things and wave a Christian flag or wear a Christian t-shirt while they do it, the world that we live in, the non-believing, skeptical world outside of the true, authentic ministry of God, they are very likely today to reject a Bible-believing Christ-committed person who holds biblical values because they will associate you with, with everything negative that they see in the media that misrepresents the name of Christ. See, 1 Peter tells us in chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual we're happening to you. Friends, don't be surprised when you face persecution. In the past 12 years, our nation has been turned upside down. It's already, it's already happening, the Christian persecution. And it will continue to happen, and it may get even worse. But you've got to remember, this world is not our home. You also have to remember that we are going to face persecution. But we also need to keep in mind, number three, that we serve a higher calling. Keep in mind that we serve a higher calling. If you pick up at the end of verse 1, the word chosen, this is who, who Peter's writing to, those that are temporary residents, dispersed in Asia Minor, chosen according to the foreknowledge, of God the Father, and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, our calling is from God. That means, friends, that, that this life, it's not about me, <laughs> and it's not about you. It's about Him. It's all about Him. It originates with God. Right here we see, just in uh, verses 1 and 2, some amazing t- characteristics of the God that we serve. The God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, is what we call a triune God. We believe that God exists as a trinity. So while someone, some people may ask you, do you serve the Trinitarian God? And the answer is... Yes, the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. Now, some critics of the doctrine of the Trinity may tell you one day, well, Scripture doesn't ever use the word Trinity, and that is true. But the teaching of the Trinity is all over Scripture. And what I want you to understand about the Trinity is that when we say that we serve a triune or a Trinitarian God, we are not saying we are not saying that we serve three separate gods. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that God is one God. There is one God. He is one being. But God has revealed Himself according to His word. He has revealed Himself to us in three ways or what we would call three distinct persons of the Trinity. Each part of the Trinity are all co-equally God. You know, the Trinity is a hard thing for us to understand because you and I each are individual persons inside a co-existing individual being. I am one human being and there is one person named Jason inside this human being. But God, He is one God, He is one being who is divine, who is God, all Himself. But inside God are are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice the language that Peter uses to describe God as he talks to his readers, as he calls these readers, those who are chosen according to the Foreknowledge of God the Father. He, he, he reminds us that there is a God in heaven, the Father God. God the Father is the creator of all things. We, we understand that when Jesus was, was on the earth and he was doing his ministry here on the earth and he would pray, and through the Holy Spirit he would pray to God the Father who was on the throne in heaven as Jesus the Son was down on this earth. The Father. But he also mentions the Spirit. He says those chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit, capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is our counselor and He is our Saint to fire. he said. what does that mean? Well, he says that, that we are set apart by the Spirit of God. Being set apart is, is when, when the Holy Spirit is working inside of our heart to make us holy, to shape us in the likeness of God. That's why many times you will hear me say that when we're saved, that God begins to change us from the inside out. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God for God to save you. You've just got to submit to Him and trust Him and then the Holy Spirit of God enters into you and it says that your heart, your, your the soul of your being becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit and that is where He begins working on you, changing you from the inside Side out he is our transformer he is our counselor he is our sanctifier and then he mentions the Son of God he says chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ the Father is creator The Spirit is Counselor, Transformer, but the Son is Savior. You see, the Son of God came to earth, sacrificed Himself for our sins, and He was crucified on a cross. And when He died on the cross, the Bible says that He became a substitution. It teaches us that He became a substitution for our sins. But after he was crucified, he gave himself over to death, and then he was crucified, and after his crucifixion, he was laid in a tomb, but three days later he rose again. He woke up, rolled away the stone, and walked out, and he began to minister some more. And then after a time of ministering on the earth and showing people that he indeed was resurrected, he then ascended into heaven, and now... He's at the right hand of the Father. Look, friends, we are set apart. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, you have been set apart. You have been, you are being sanctified. You are being made holy in His likeness. Look, notice what it says that we're set apart for. It says we're set apart for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, but it also says that the Spirit sets us apart for obedience. we set apart for obedience. Obedience means that we would come under someone's authority. Obedience means that you are surrendering and submitting to someone's authority. We are called to obey God. We, as believers in Christ, we are called... To submit ourselves under the authority of God. We are submitting ourselves. That starts, number one, with, with coming to faith in Christ. Submitting yourself to the, 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 the blood of Jesus, to the sacrifice of Jesus who died for our sins. You, you submit yourself under His authority. Friends, there's only one way to know that your sins are forgiven. There's only one way to know that when you leave this earth, you will step into a heavenly home. And that is when you submit to who Christ is, you come under His authority and become spiritually. When that happens, you become spiritually sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And when that happens, in the eyes of God... It will be as if we had never sinned at all. Because the truth is, is that all of us have sin. And if left to our own devices, our sin is what will separate us from God. But when we come under the authority of Jesus and our hearts are spiritually sprinkled with the blood, that sin in the eyes of God will go away. Friends, we need to understand that this world is not our home. We need to understand that we will face persecution, and we need to understand that we serve a higher calling. That calling is to repent of sin, to trust in Christ, and to follow Him with all of your hearts for all of your days. Friends, when you do that, you will encounter the love and forgiveness and power and wisdom of our amazing triune God. When that happens, you will be saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.